Hey, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're with us this long weekend morning. Uh, I was looking outside and I can you can probably see outside through my glasses, but uh, looks like a bit of a, I don't know, might turn out to be a nice day, but uh, we're so glad that you're joining us this morning. And uh, we're actually interested to see if, uh, <clears throat> if maybe there's a few more of you joining us on a day like today, as opposed to a nice, sunny, beautiful day. And uh, Anyway, we're going to get right to it. We're going to open a prayer. Excuse me, I am going to be adjusting a few things as we go, so I'm running everything here. And Pastor Lisa, Pastor Marcus, they're going to be online in the comments, uh, just interacting with you guys, seeing how you're doing. And uh, please, um, <clears throat> feel free to interact in the comments. Uh, we, we want to be community together. And so thank you for joining us. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in it. And today's sermon is entitled, The Compassionate High Priest. And again, it's from Hebrews. We're going through a, a series called Hebrews, the, the, the Supremacy and Sufficiency of Jesus. And so we're going to jump right in there. So, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to jump right in, the opportunity, Lord God, to dig into your word together as community. Would you, by your spirit, just reveal something deep about your word, about the truths of this place, this world, the truths of who you are and the truths of who we are as a result? So, Lord, we pray that you go before us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today, if you are taking notes, I know some of you like to take notes, and uh, hopefully that is not a habit that you've given up on even during online church. Uh, we like to take notes at church, and so this is just a way of maybe accessing a different part of your brain in just figuring through uh, different ideas and so if you are taking notes, please write this down. Our confession of faith is in Jesus, the King, who experienced the frailty of, hum of the human condition and extends us grace. I'm going to leave it up there for a little bit. But our confession of faith is in Jesus, the King, who experienced the frailty of the human condition and extends us grace. Now, this is the beautiful and invitational point that's being made by the writer of Hebrews in today's reading. God knows what it's like to be human. That's the big truth. That's the big idea. God knows what it's like to be human, what it's like to be weak, what it's like to be tempted to the very limits of the human condition. God knows. He's experienced it. He has empathy and sympathy for each and every one of us. And that's a powerful point. So today... As we continue our series in Hebrews, we, we need to understand what's, what's happening in this moment as the writer pens these words. It, it's, it's a good thing to understand kind of the context of what's going on in this moment. And the writer of Hebrews, they have a goal in mind. Their, their thesis, so to speak, it exists to convince and declare truths about God, but also about the next steps in the journey of the Jewish faith. And you, you did hear me right. Uh, I spoke to Jewish faith, but it, but it goes beyond that. And that's the point. That's the point that this author is trying to make. It goes beyond, but it's still the Jewish faith. Uh, I've been reading a book by N.T. Wright entitled Paul, A Biography. And N.T. Wright might just very well be the preeminent authority on Paul, the apostle's life that's alive today. And 
his book has kind of given me a bit of a perspective when it comes to first century because because of Paul's life and because he existed in the first century and the spread of Christianity. There's some things that that we don't often think about today so far removed from that moment. And he argues that there was no concept of Christianity and Judaism being different religions in the first century. And that's kind of how we see them today. But in the first century, that was not the case. They were one and the same. The Christians, quote and unquote, were those who believed through the lens that Jesus from Nazareth was the promised Messiah and he changed everything. You see, it was about the Jewish prophet and the law being fulfilled in Jesus. It wasn't a different religion. It was the completing of Judaism. It was the completing of the law and the prophets in Jesus. And that was the perspective. But, but there were two other primary thoughts apart from the Jewish faith that ruled the day as well. Uh, these were Stoicism and Epicureanism. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I, my brain's not working today. I'll get it. But the Stoics, they believed that the gods could not have feelings or emotions. Well, it's, what separates God from the human condition is indifference. That was their belief. That's the way they looked at the gods. The Epicureans, they believed that gods lived in a space between heaven and earth in, in happiness and bliss, completely unaware of humanity. And then, of course, the Jews predominantly believed God to be holy in the sense that, that he was different and set apart with, with no shared human experience. And now there comes this new and radical teaching that has emerged from these Jesus followers. This is a moment that the writer of Hebrews is building to, writing to the Gentiles and to the Jews alike. And, and I wonder if there are those listening today and you've wrestled with your view of God. Perhaps you've wrestled with how to perceive God. I, I know that statistically, there are many who would call themselves agnostics. Uh, people who are aware that there, there just has to be a created, creative designer. There has to be a higher power than just what we see in this world, but perhaps you're unconvinced as to whether or not you can definitively know this creator or this higher power. Perhaps you believe that God set us spinning in space and time, the creator set us spinning in space and time, and then just removed himself from the equation, much like the Stoics did. Or perhaps God simply exists and, and, and is ignorant of humanity and our plight like the Epicureans. But the writer of Hebrews was convinced that God not only exists, but can be known. And, and this is the environment in which these words were penned. And so this is the context. This is the moment that these words were penned. And so we're going to kind of jump in. Hebrews chapter 4. Sorry to get right at it, guys. Uh, we just wanted to... Um, just jump right in and get right at it. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I would just welcome you to, to visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And we can get you a Bible there, uh, just even right now digitally. And so that's just a great resource that you can avail yourselves of. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16 says, Since then, 
We have, a high, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in, in, to help in time of need. It's Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. As I was writing this sermon, the thought occurred to me that it, it's a shame that we have kind of given up in many ways the ability to embrace longer forms of dialogue and discourse around deep matters. Uh, just as a society, we've kind of we've kind of let that go. We've kind of given it up and and it's a shame because there's so much to unpack. Anything worthwhile takes time to unpack. I, I even think of Paul. There's one night where he's unpacking the gospel and how it relates to the Jewish faith and the completion, Jesus being the completion of the law and the prophets. And he, and he taught literally all night to the point where a young man actually fell asleep and fell out the window. Um, we've lost the ability to go deep, but... I want to just maybe take and focus on two things, two things, and then maybe I can I can challenge you. Go deep in these things. Go deeper than we can even in this moment together. But one of those things creates a kind of tension in all of us. It, it creates a tension for us. And then the second, when we've been convinced of it, it, it frees us unlike any other idea or philosophy ever could. So, if you have your Bibles, why don't you jump with me to Hebrews 4. We're going to go verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, keep in mind that Jesus that is written here is the same Jesus who had walked the earth earlier and, and it could have been that he walked the earth. We don't know exactly when Hebrews was written. So he could have, at the earliest, walked the earth among that generation that's hearing these words. Or at the latest, walked the earth uh, among the grandparents of the ones who are hearing this word. And so this writer is making a bold declaration. He's saying, Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus, the one who walked these roads that you walk not so long ago, is the Son of God. The, the man that you knew is exalted as God above the heavens. And so he's making a point. He, he not only died and was raised, but he was exalted above the heavens into the presence of God, being God himself. This is radical. This is a radical moment. And now, here's where the tension kind of lies. He says, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. You know, we remember that, that, that the teachings of the apostles tell us that salvation is found in the work of Jesus alone, right? It's our confession of that truth that saves us. To so think about the pathway of salvation, right? Confession of our frailty, our brokenness, and our sin. 
Then confession that we need a Savior, confession that Jesus is the Son of God, confession that we receive his finished work in our lives, the work of the cross, the work of his broken body, his shed blood, his resurrection, life. And so we confess that we receive his work. And even water baptism is a, is a form of confession. It's a public confession of an inward faith. So, so the question and perhaps the tension that is cre- that is created here is our confession of faith a one-time event and if so what does the author mean in saying we must hold fast to our confession in other words why say it at all if there's no chance of walking away from that confession of faith why why say hold fast to it you know if there's no chance of releasing it and walking away from it, and maybe even turning from it. Remember the context of this moment. We've just read about the rest of God entered through faith and lived out through obedience. We, we read about the rebellion and those who hardened their hearts and did not see the promised land because of their hard hearts. And my question is, is salvation simply a one-time event? And once you're saved, you're always saved. Can I, can I be honest? As I read Hebrews, as I read the letters of Paul and even the teachings of Jesus, I'm left with a bit of a tension here. There are moments where it seems that this is the case. And I, I do believe that when you confess your sins before God and you accept his work, you are saved 100%. But over and over in Scripture, it talks about holding fast to that confession, holding fast to that faith fanning the flame there's a tension to guard our hearts says hold fast your confession of faith be diligent the writer says earlier be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone according to the same example of disobedience friends in this life we're called to be diligent when it comes to our confession of faith, to be diligent and hold fast to your confession because life's going to hit you in the face. We're feeling that right now. And there's moments where temptations are going to come and perhaps some of you are feeling that right now. But we must hold fast the confession of faith, the confession that we are broken in need of a Savior, the confession that he is the Son of God raised from the dead over over death in the grave that he has given us forgiveness of sins through his shed blood and his broken body healing. We confess these things. We hold fast to that confession, that moment that we are changed forever. We hold fast to our confession. But there is, there's a tension. There's a tension. And I can't with 100% conviction say, once you're saved, you're always saved. Because I don't think the Bible gives us that. It gives us, like so many things in life, it gives us a tension to manage. And I think that tension can be motivation to make sure that we hold fast to this confession, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we believe he's come into our hearts and our lives and has changed us. We hold fast to our confession. Our confession of faith is in Jesus the Christ who experienced the frailty of the human condition and extends us grace. But then he goes on to say, 
He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here is yet again the good news of the gospel message, this news that has entered the world as the writer of Hebrews writes this in the first century about Jesus and what Jesus did. We are accepted by a Savior in Jesus who understands our weaknesses and still offers us salvation and mercy and grace. Can you remember as a kid? I remember a number of people as a kid, uh, adults in my life that I highly respected. And, you know, when you're a kid, you just think no one can do any wrong, right? I mean, you think of certain people in your life. And you think, oh, they're not scared of anything, you know? You have this perception of some of the respected adults that are around you as a kid or even as a teenager. And you think, you know what, they have it all together. They have all the answers. They have everything together. They don't, they're not scared of anything. And then one day, one of these people invites you into this moment. And maybe some of you remember this moment because it's impactful. It changes the dynamic of relationship. Where someone that you highly respect, someone that you think can do no wrong, say no wrong, knows all things, isn't scared of anything, all of a sudden comes to you and, and, and confides in you and tells you, this situation has me scared. Or I don't know what to do in this situation. And in that moment, there's, there's kind of two things that happen. You realize that for the first time that you're not the only one who wrestles with insecurity and fear and not having the answers and not knowing what to do and weakness. But it also makes them human on a level that causes them to be much more approachable. It changes the dynamic of the relationship in such a deep way. And in many ways, not in all ways, this, this isn't a comparison that we can just take across the board, but in many ways, this is the dynamic that the writer of Hebrews is leading us to in regards to God. Now, there's a few caveats here, obviously. For instance, Jesus had all knowledge. He, he, he also didn't succumb to fear as we do, but... But he was tempted by fear, that emotion of fear welling up. We know he was tempted because the word says he was tempted in all things. William Barclay, he puts it this way. I'll, I'll put it up on the screen. There is no part of human experience of which God cannot say, I have been there. When we have a sad and sorry tale to tell, when life has drenched us with tears, we do not go to a God who is incapable of understanding what has happened. We go to a God who has been there. That is why, if we may put it this way, God finds it easy to forgive. You know, this is, this is a radical new understanding of who God is. Not, not a God of indifference or ignorance or even a God of of, of holiness, although he is, but when I say holiness, the Jewish perspective of different and, and set apart in a way that he had no way of relating to the human being. 
Barclay goes on to say the Jews had their different God. Sorry, guys, I'm just going to throw it on the screen for you. The Jews had their different God. The Stoics had their feelingless gods. And the Epicureans had their completely detached gods. Into that world of thought came Christianity with its incredible conception of a God who had deliberately undergone every human experience. You know, the power of Jesus, his cross and his resurrection are in the fact that he endured the frailty of the human condition, was tempted to the limits of the enemy's ability to tempt him, and still he did not sin. He did the very thing we could not do so that we could get a glimpse of the heart of God to be accepted through confession, this salvation that's been offered to us. Our confession, our confession of faith is in Jesus the Christ who experienced the frailty of the human condition and extends us grace. He goes on in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It, it seems though the writer of Hebrews is writing to, to a broader audience here. He focuses on the view of the Jewish tradition of God, a, a God who is holy and, and wholly set apart from mankind. And this is a radical new idea. We, we have lived with Christianity over thousands of years and the development and the unpacking. But in the first century, you have to put it through their minds and put it through that context. This is a radical new idea that the human beings in their frailty could ever even approach the presence of God was, was madness. In, in fact, under the Jewish tradition, under the law and the prophets, under the priesthood and all the protocols, it would have even been blasphemous. Only one man could enter the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And that was under very strict protocol and very strict cleansings and sacrifices and the whole thing. And, and Jesus became the perfect high priest for us so that those who confess him as their Savior and Lord can find grace and mercy in the presence of God instead of judgment and punishment. It's funny Whenever I speak of these things in today's world, I, I often think about how foolish it sounds, you know, especially today because a lot of people don't have context for the Christian faith or even Judaism. In the first century, this would have made a little more sense. People would have understood what these Christians were trying to do in terms of declaring Jesus as Messiah. And today we, we've lost a little bit of that understanding, a little bit of that context. And, and I, I just think of like, like Paul talks about the fact that, you know, there's moments where he's going to preach the gospel and people are going to see it as absolute foolishness. But friends, others are going to hear it through the filter of the Holy Spirit doing something in their life. There's, there's something living and active about this good news. And for some of you, perhaps you're listening and the Holy Spirit is doing something. Maybe you've been listening over the last little while and the Holy Spirit's been tugging at you and, and bearing a witness in your soul that there's something to this, that this is truth and it'll change your life. 
Jesus is God, and he empathizes and understands your weakness, your pain, and your longing to know God. And I just want to pray with you. If that's you, I want to pray with you today because your journey of faith starts with a confession. It starts with a confession of your sin and your brokenness. It starts with a confession that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the, the, the Messiah, which means the one who came to save. A confession that you receive his work in your life, in your, in your heart. And then a confession that he'll give you grace to hold fast to that confession and to grow in obedience and grow in life and grow in a new way of seeing the world, a new way of living, a new pattern of behavior, a new way of approaching life and relationships and work and all of the things because that's what God does. He leads us in a new way. So can I just pray with you? I don't, I don't think that there's anything fully, I don't think an intellectual argument can fully reach. That's why we require this gift of faith to take that leap. And so I'm asking you to take a leap with me this morning. And so if you're with us and you've been perhaps exploring faith with us, uh, I just welcome you to take a leap with us today. And there's so many people watching with you right now that'll be celebrating that moment. But why don't you pray with me? Because our confession of faith is in Jesus, the Christ, who experienced the frailty of the human condition and extends us grace. Lord, would you reveal yourself by your spirit to each and every person listening today? Lord, would you cause us to know you in a very real and tangible way by your manifest spirit in our lives? Lord God, we confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We confess that we believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah, that, Lord, what is said of you is true, that you died, but that you rose again and conquered death in the grave. We confess, Lord, our belief through faith. We confess, Lord God, that we receive you into our hearts, into our lives. We submit our lives to you. We confess, Lord God, that we are loved by a loving God who empathizes and sympathizes with the human condition. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to say before we close, as I think about the work of Jesus in a life, and as I think about this idea of us jumping into the throne room of grace. It's, it's our confession in those things, in Jesus as Lord, Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. That's what gives us the boldness to go into the throne room. And that that's where we meet mercy and where we meet grace. We don't have to adjust necessarily our behaviors before we walk into the throne room. Notice we walk into the throne room and that, that's where we obtain mercy and we find grace to help in time of need. For some of you, perhaps you were like me. I lived my life in a way that if there was anything going on in my life that was just off kilter or sin or behavior issues, it stopped me from going into the throne room and coming before God in his presence and prayer 
and in scripture reading and, and being in his presence because I felt that my behavior had to change before I could come into the throne room. Here's the deal. It's our confession of faith that gives you access to the throne room. And in his throne room, as you come to him in prayer, as you come to him in scripture reading, as you come to him in worship, that's where you'll find grace for help to overcome and to walk out of those behaviors, those things that maybe break your heart that are still in your lives. Don't let that keep you from the throne room of grace because it's confession of faith and the forgiveness of sins from our Savior Jesus who did it perfectly that gives us access. So don't, don't let that be a hang-up for you. I'm going to invite Pastor Marcus at this time.